Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with the executive director of Ohio Legal Help about the ways their website can help people. Then organ donations will be the topic. I'll discuss it with someone from Lifeline of Ohio. In about 25 minutes, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS-10-TV, Tracy Townsend presents information on a number of topics, including the expulsion from the Ohio House of State Representative Larry Householder, safety enforcement of rides at carnivals, fairs, and amusement parks, and updates on various legislation at the State House. And in about 45 minutes, I'll finish up the hour with 4th of July holiday travel information from AAA Ohio. First up on Columbus Perspective... Susan Che, who is the executive director of Ohio Legal Help. How are you? Good. How are you, Dave? Good. Thanks for talking to us. We talked to you a couple of times last year as the pandemic was rolling on, and here we are now, what, a a year and two or three months later, and many of the same problems still persisting from your vantage point. Yeah, our our traffic continues to be high. We continue to help 50,000 folks plus a month um, in terms of questions about covid Um, And recently we've seen an increase in traffic to our unemployment page as Ohio is stopping the extra $300 in unemployment payment. So this is through OhioLegalHelp.org, but uh, tell us uh, about what Ohio Legal Help is. Sure. So we are a mobile-first website. In other words, um, people, in fact, most of the folks that um, come to our website come via their smartphone, and we provide legal information and court forms and connections to resources like rental assistance um, throughout the state of Ohio. We cover all 88 counties. And the website just has, uh, I mean, it's tremendous because there's all kinds of different topics, and it will channel the help to somebody uh, on a local front. Yeah, I mean, Where you get rental assistance, for instance, is very local. It helps you to know where in your county you should contact to see if you can get rental assistance so you can get caught up before the eviction moratorium ends, right? Because while the moratorium prevented you from being set out, um, your rent kept on accruing. So it's really critically important that tenants contact their local rental assistance agencies and apply now. Okay, and the moratorium now, it, it has just, uh, as we record this, coming up a few days before the end of June has been extended. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So initially, the um, eviction moratorium that's by the CDC was um, expected to end on June 30th, but the CDC announced that they'll be extending the moratorium through July 31st. And they're doing that to really emphasize that because they understand that sometimes the rental assistance, it's been, it's taken a while to get it up and moving. They want to give folks that extra 30 days to get that rental assistance. But however, they have said this is the last extension. How effective has this moratorium been? Has it, has it helped a lot of Ohioans? Well, we know we've assisted over 20,000 folks with the eviction moratorium. And, you know, and, you know, the folks that have connected back to us have said it's helpful, but that's anecdotal. I can give you our data, which is, you know, we've, we've assisted over 20,000 folks, and we think we've assisted over 20,000 folks hopefully prevent eviction. Um, and then, you know, folks have been kind enough to reach back to us and to really thank us to say that this was their lifeline that they needed for the time. Is it a one-time help? Is it is it something that's been ongoing for months? How does that work? So there's 
you know, it's been in place for pretty much, you know, almost a year. It's hard to believe. It's, it's like you were you're talking about. Um, and that moratorium has continued to be extended. Now, the help, that rental assistance, it is more recent. So, for instance, with the latest round of stimulus bills, the federal government has made more rental assistance available. And in particular, in the last round, there was a lot of rental assistance that went to the states, and that's what they're really trying to emphasize. And and for you know your, you know your listeners out there, the in Ohio, those dollars have been primarily going through local community action agencies. And if you go to OhioLegalHelp.org, um, we actually you know you click on a link, you can you select your county, and we tell you which agency you need to contact for rental assistance. And what about landlords uh, and tenant building owners, those types of things? Sure. So, you know, the stimulus, if you think about it, that stimulus, that rental assistance, it certainly helps tenants, but it also helps landlords, especially mom and pop landlords who may not have had a lot of cushions. So this is money that are available so that landlords can get themselves caught up as well. Because, I mean, that money is essentially floating through tenants to landlords. And actually, the last stimulus, it really goes directly to the landlord. So, you know, if a tenant applies and gets approved, you know, the, they're really, they're, they're basically paying back rent to the beginning of the pandemic, which is like April of 2020. So long, yeah. You know, I think that it's been, I think it's been hard certainly on landlords, it's been hard on tenants as well. I think what I've heard, you know, and this is through news releases and through landlord groups, is that, you know, the moratorium has placed a hardship because obviously they have tenants in properties that the moratorium is saying essentially they they have a right to stay put during the moratorium. Right. But, you know, Congress thought about that, which is that there is rental assistance available so that landlords can be made whole. And these are grants, not loans, right? These are grants. That is correct. This is rental assistance in the form of a grant. These are stimulus dollars, and you don't pay it back. This is a grant. Now, you have spent much of your life in, in housing matters. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I wanted to ask you about the affordable housing crisis. Sure. So um, I've had 20-plus years since I graduated from law school, and um, pretty much my entire career, I've worked on fair housing and affordable housing issues and community economic development. And during the last foreclosure crisis in 08, I was the chief of consumer protection for Ohio and led our foreclosure prevention effort. And now we've got Zillow said that Columbus and Denver were the two hottest markets in April. And Columbus has been among the hottest for better than a year now, where housing values are just through the roof. And that isn't necessarily a good thing. Yeah, I mean, so of what I would say, single owner occupancy, single homes, right, single family homes. Um, the current Columbus market, I think somewhere, I think it is the hottest market in the country, maybe average of five days, I think on market, something like that in the last report. Now, in terms of, let's say, affordable housing within a rental market, that that market is different. Um, and it, it's, it's about the same from the beginning of the pandemic to now in that it's still not affordable for a number of low-income and very low-income tenants. And the pandemic has exacerbated that through the unemployment. 
And it seems like the opportunity for people to buy a home within their budget, a first home for, you know, a, a low to middle class couple, much, much more difficult now than it would have been even like three or four years ago. In, in Columbus, I think what you're seeing is that um, as folks get priced out, they're getting priced out in multiple markets, right? Um, so, for instance, um, because the market right now is so hot and because, you know, it's simple economic supply and demand, there's just not a good supply of homes right now. Um, and because of that, um, and, and then in, on top of that, the mortgage interest rates are so low, right? And so what you're seeing is you're seeing outsized demand for the supply. And so you're right. I mean, housing prices are, are up in all markets in the Columbus area, even areas where homes were more affordable. Now, I, I don't think that that's a continued trend. I think eventually supply hopefully catches up and that market improves for um, um, potential homeowners. Yeah, the really strange thing is uh, you could sell your home right now and get a whole lot more for it than what you paid for it. And if you buy another one, three or four years from now, the one that you buy might be worth less then than it is now. It is a very tricky market. Um, I've done a lot of real estate um, when I was doing the foreclosure. Um, and it, it is going to be a tricky market for folks because while it is certainly a seller's market, it is not a buyer's market. And so, uh, you know, I have, you know, certainly heard of where you know, homes are on the market for like a day and folks are coming in with multiple over asking price offers. That's going to create some imbalances in the market if you're purchasing. Talking with Susan Shea, she's the executive director of Ohio Legal Help. Before we wrap up here, give us a, an idea of some of the other services that, that people can find on the website. Sure. So we cover... We really cover the full spectrum of legal needs for Ohioans. So, for instance, while we certainly have a lot of information on evictions, um, debt collection, and foreclosure, we also have information, for instance, on divorce and dissolution, which we're actually seeing increased traffic to. So, for instance, on our website, we have a TurboTax-like experience where someone can actually fill out their divorce forms on our website and, and then save them, actually. Um, and so, you know, again, we, we cover the full spectrum. We also have, like, in one of the areas we've also emphasized, and I think COVID has brought this to light, is planning around health care, you know, living wills, thinking through health care powers of attorneys, um, and, and preparing for those types of emergencies. And we have that information as well, in addition to other wills and estates. So we really cover the full spectrum of legal needs. Um, so that folks can get a good understanding and then take some next steps. And sometimes that next step is filling out the form on our website. And sometimes that next step is connecting with a rental agency, a rental assistance agency. And then sometimes that next step is connecting with a lawyer. We connect folks to both um, lawyers in the private bar and to legal aid. It's tremendous. Again, it's ohiolegalhelp.org. Susan Shea joining us, executive director. Anything else you'd like to add? No, other than, um, Dave, ohiolegalhelp.org, again, and we're unique in that we're a website, so we're open 24-7, and again, helping over 50,000 folks a month right now. It's a tremendous service. Uh, thanks so much for your time again today, Susan. Sure appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you having me on.
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Jessica Peterson, who is the Media and Public Relations Coordinator for Lifeline of Ohio. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what Lifeline of Ohio is. The Lifeline of Ohio is the best organization around. We help to facilitate the gift of life from a deceased donor to a waiting recipient. So every single day we get to, you know, witness... um, just the gift of life being given, and it is it is a very powerful and purposeful mission. So what is it exactly uh, in that chain do you do? Do you uh, notify hospitals that an organ is coming, or do you just make arrangements for people to be donors? What do you do? So we do all of the above. So um, for me, in our, in our communications department, I am out every day trying to get the word out to register more people as organ, eye, and tissue donors. So um, me and my colleagues were, were really doing awareness so that when people go to the BMV and are asked if they would like to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor, they say yes. So that's my role. Um, the other major clinical role is that we are federally funded and all hospitals in our service area, which is 38 counties in Ohio and two in West Virginia, all hospitals are required to call Lifeline of Ohio when a death has occurred in their hospital. And then we um, kind of vet each and every death to see if donation is possible. Um, Donation is exceedingly rare. Only 1% of the people who die can go on to be an organ donor. So we have to take each and every call and do a history on that person to find out if they can be a donor. If they can be, we work with their families, we work with transplant centers, we work with the hospital um, to coordinate everything so that life-saving gift can be given to a waiting recipient. It is a very complex and complicated process, but in the end, someone's life is safe and it's all worth it. You mentioned that only about 1% end up being donors, and and I would imagine the majority of them are situations where somebody has no brain activity following an accident or who is uh, imminently dying of a long-term disease or something? You're exactly right. So organ donation really, truly happens at a very traumatic time. It's it's not really um, after a long illness. It's usually after you know, a stroke or a car accident or a gunshot wound. It is when something um, happens emergently where that person is um, hurt, taken to the hospital, they're placed on a ventilator, and the doctors do everything they can to save that person. If their life cannot be saved and they are declared brain dead, so no brain activity, um, that is when donation can occur. So it it needs to happen in a hospital so that there is um, oxygen being pushed to those organs. You know, some people call it life support. Um, It's not really life support once a person has been declared brain dead. Um, It is just mechanical support helping to oxygenate the organs so they can be given to someone else. And so because often then I would think that's for the families uh, involved with that stroke victim or accident victim, this is a pretty chaotic and distressful time, and that's why you need to have all your ducks in a row before all this happens. 
Yeah, that's so true. You know, we we do truly meet families at at a very very dark hour, um, and our family services coordinators who meet with families are just some of the most wonderful people I've ever met. Um, so that's why donation, your donation decision is so important. So when you go to the BMV, when you say yes, I want to be an organ donor, we always follow that up with please share that decision with your family with your loved ones because if someone doesn't know that their loved one is registered and all of a sudden we're on site saying your loved one has registered their decision to be a donor it can be very chaotic um and it is it's a legally binding decision if someone is above the age of 18 so donation would move forward because it's an advanced directive so gosh we just we ask every single person, please have a donation conversation with your family. Now, licenses were uh, extended. Mine was a good example because mine was due to expire right when everybody was sent home from work and, and everything started to shut down last year. So I was on an expired license for more than a year and had up until the end of June of this year to get it renewed, which means... I would imagine the BMV's got a flood of people coming in right now to, to try to beat that deadline, and they'll be asked that question. Yes, and, and actually I was in the exact same situation as you, um, and I, I didn't register, you know, renew my license for almost a year as well. Um, we work very closely with the BMVs in our area. I believe there are 58 BMVs that we work with throughout our service area, and they, they are our frontline workers. They are the ones... You know, the majority of people who join the Ohio Donor Registry do so at the BMV. So we are so appreciative that they ask that question every single time um, someone new comes to register their license. If, if you've already said yes at the BMV, let's say you re- renewed your license four years ago. If you said yes, then you won't be asked again. Anyone new, um, they ask that question, and and they are truly our our frontline heroes. Talking with Jessica Peterson with Lifeline of Ohio, we hear all the time about how there are not enough uh, organs to go around for people that are in need of them. How bad is that situation? It's a dire situation. Uh, Right now, nationwide, there are nearly 108,000 men, women, and children who are in need of a life-saving organ. And if you drill that down to Ohio, there's there's about 3,000 people. And then drilling down even further, in central Ohio, there's about 700 of our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends who are desperately waiting for that life-saving organ transplant. So the need is, you know, the need is real right here at home. And when somebody is a donor, what can be donated? And and does it vary depending on the person's age, et cetera? What's really awesome is that one one donor has the the ability to save eight lives. So that's through your solid organs. So that's your heart, two lungs, two kidneys, liver, small pancreas. Um, But there are eight major organs that can be donated. And then one tissue donor can heal more than 75 people. So when you think of a tissue donor, you think of skin for burn victims, or you think of corneas. One person can give two people sight, bone, veins, nerves. There's so much that a tissue donor can do um, to heal 
someone's life. And then as far as the age, we just in the United States had our oldest organ donor on record last month, actually. His name was Cecil Lockhart, and he is from Pennsylvania, just next door, and he saved three lives. So a 95-year-old saved three lives, which is just incredible. That is. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, what are the, the biggest reasons that people say they don't want to be a donor? You know, so we find that people often want to be generous, but when they start having ailments themselves, they take themselves out of the registry. So if someone um, develops diabetes or has hypertension, we find that they don't want to hurt someone else. So they take themselves out of the registry when, you know, the medical professionals at the time of death will determine if you are able to give that gift of life. Just because you have diabetes doesn't mean that your heart isn't very strong and could be donated. Um, Some people think that their religion um, wouldn't be for organ donation. And the truth of the matter is is that all major U.S. religions view donation as a last charitable act. Um, You know, it's really all about education, and it's really those conversations that you have between your family and friends um, that, that educates people and really drives them to register as a donor. Do some people have fear that maybe if you do have a bad accident and you're barely hanging on, that they're afraid maybe they are going to be the victim of an over-eager medical team that wants that kidney from you? Yeah, I mean, that is, that's what you see on Grey's Anatomy, and it couldn't be further from the truth. So the, the very nice thing about donation is that donation is completely separate from the doctors who are working to save your life. Um, so when you are in a bad automobile accident and you are rushed to the hospital, those doctors, they have, you know, they have taken an oath to do no harm and to save your life. And it's only after all medical interventions have been exhausted that that donation is even, um, and death has been declared, that donation is even brought forth. And that is an entirely different team. Um, you know, my colleagues don't work inside of the hospital, you know, in the ICU as nurses. They work for Lifeline of Ohio. Um, so, but it, it's, it's that, it's that media that we have to work against sometimes, you know, the Grey's Anatomy, and it's just, it's two separate um, entities. The doctors are trying to save your lives. After everything has been exhausted, only then is donation brought into the picture. I think, as we mentioned before, most people are familiar with uh, signing up or being asked to sign up as a donor when they have their license renewed, but uh, how else can they do it? So it's really easy. You can always go to lifelineofohio.org, and you can register through our website. Um, I would say, you know, 95% of people do register when they go to the DMV. But if you'd like to register right now, lifelineofohio.org, and you can um, make your donation decision. And then how how does that person, how does the, the hospital become aware that that person's a donor if if in the you know the event they do have an accident and end up in the hospital yep so remember when i was talking about all hospitals are required to call lifeline of ohio we're an organ procurement organization so 
there's 57 organ procurement organizations across the United States. So hospitals in our service area are required to call us to report a death. It's at that time that we are able to access the Ohio Donor Registry to see if Joe Smith is a registered donor. If he is, we talk to his family and tell his family of his donation decision. If he's not, we still talk to his family since donation is so rare. So it's in those instances that that donation conversation is so important um, because if you have a one-minute conversation with your family, tragedy strikes years down the road, your family would know what you wanted. Um, so it, that's, those conversations are so critical. Talking with Jessica Peterson from Lifeline of Ohio, you have an event coming up next month. Yes, it's very exciting. We have our 22nd annual Dash for Donation. It is a 5K, typically held, you know, downtown Columbus. We typically have 3,000 people. Um, this year it is going to be virtual, but it's our largest awareness event and our largest fundraising event. Um, for organ eye and tissue donation. So we have donor families running and walking in honor of their loved ones. We have recipients running and walking to celebrate that gift. Um, and it's just a really, really great event. Um, you can find out a lot about it on dashforadonation.org. It's spectacular. Okay. And we were talking before we started recording that your organization, because of its nature is going to be one of the very last to really return to normal probably right yes so right now you know just as everything else in the world in march um most of our employees went to work at home um, because we do have you know clinical teams in and out of hospitals um and we just want to make sure that everyone is safe and we also you know, work with our volunteers who are transplant recipients who are immunocompromised. So we are taking a very conservative approach, and most of our teams um, who can are still working from home. So I'm still working from home. Of course, we have our clinical teams out, but we're I'm very thankful that Lifeline of Ohio is being so careful um, and so responsible during this pandemic, and we're just we all want to get back to normal, but it is very nice to work from home. Talking with Jessica Peterson, she's Media and Public Relations Coordinator for Lifeline of Ohio. Anything else you'd like to add? I just want to encourage everyone listening to make a donation decision, share that decision with your family, and go to lifelineofohio.org for any information you need. Okay, Jessica, thanks so much for your time and the information. Yes, thank you. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Here's Tracy. At one point, he was perhaps the strongest voice at the Statehouse. 
This morning, he's not only stripped of his title as speaker, but he's no longer even a member of the legislature. Thank you for joining us for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. It was an extraordinary moment on the State House floor. This is only the second time in Ohio's history that lawmakers have kicked someone out. 10TV's Olivia Eugenio reports on the vote and that bribery scandal. This was Larry Householder's first time walking out of the House chambers after being voted out. I can't believe we came to this day. The House will prepare and proceed to vote. In a 75 to 21 vote. The resolution is adopted and Larry Householder is expelled from the Ohio House of Representatives. Householder is facing federal racketeering charges from July of 2020. He's accused of orchestrating a more than $60 million bribery scheme. Householder, after the vote, maintained his innocence. I never solicited a bribe. I've never been bribed. Uh, and I never sold legislation. The resolution that passed said Householder should be expelled because of disorderly conduct. This was uh, driven by conduct and the... Uh, the requirements of the Constitution that puts on members of the House to, to make sure that we have members that um, that uh, do not engage in disorderly conduct is a broad term, which means very unethical conduct, among other things. During his testimony, Householder had a lot to say about how his expulsion would defy the will of the people. This is what he had to say to his constituents. I've never uh, apologized for uh, the vigor that I use when I speak and, and work for the people of Ohio. I, I was a strong leader, I was a strong representative, and I was a very strong voice. And what gave me the ability to do those things was I ha they had my back. This expulsion lasts the rest of Householder's two-year term. If Householder chooses to run again and is elected, he would not be able to be expelled again, as explained in Article 2, Section 6 of the state constitution. If the truth comes out when we are standing in a jury of our peers, then uh, I won't be found guilty of a felony, and if that's the case, I think I can be reelected. When asked what he will do after the vote, Householder kept it simple. I'm planning on going back to the farm, and we've still got some vegetables we need to plant. Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News. All right, let's take a look at a timeline of how all of this happened. On July 21st of 2020, Householder was arrested on racketeering charges. Nine days later, he was indicted and stripped of his role as Speaker of the House. Then in November... He was reelected to his House seat after running unopposed in Perry County. And that led to his expulsion last week. Next up is his criminal case. It's unclear when that might, in fact, go to trial. Governor Mike DeWine says he respects the decision of the Ohio House to expel Householder. The governor has maintained since Householder's July 2020 indictment that his fellow Republicans should resign. He calls the expulsion a decision by a separate branch of government that should be respected. And here now is a little history lesson. The only other Ohio lawmaker to be booted from state office was Representative John P. Slough. Why? Well, he punched a colleague in the face on the House floor. This was back in 1857. He was a Cincinnati Democrat who went after an Ashtabula Republican named Darius Cadwell. The Ohio Capitol Journal reports all the trouble stemmed from a relatively tame topic should members retroactively get work and travel compensation. Newspapers were, well, they were a bit creative back then. The Dark County Democrat detailed the whole thing as Mr. Slough planting a sock de between Mr. Caldwell's peepers. Wow, 
Well, here in Ohio, the state of emergency for the COVID-19 pandemic was lifted. The state of emergency was put into place in March of 2020 after the first COVID-19 cases were identified. But the governor acknowledged cases are down and vaccinations are up. He also announced that nursing homes will be allowed to have more than two visitors and scheduling will no longer be required. We've been keeping up with a controversial bill related to COVID-19 vaccines. Opponents talked about it. Here's what it would do. House Bill 248 would block Ohio employers from making employees get vaccinated in order to work for them. They also would not be allowed to make unvaccinated people wear masks. The other part of this, the bill would require schools to tell parents their kids can skip vaccinations because of medical or religious beliefs or reasons of conscience. Last week, supporters of what they call medical freedom spoke before the House. Listen to this. You'll remember it went viral and now some lawmakers say it, quote, wounded this bill. I'm sure you've seen the pictures all over the Internet of people who've had these shots and now they're magnetized. They can put a key on their forehead, it sticks. They can put spoons and forks all over them and they can stick because now we think that there's a metal piece to that. Okay, and we have to mention that the CDC has debunked this. COVID-19 vaccines do not contain metals. Those against the bill testified, including this doctor from Akron Children's Hospital. And so it would be Russian roulette. If, 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 our, if the armor we wear as healthcare providers is our vaccination, and we as administration can't really even know if you're wearing that armor or not. Governor DeWine also opposes this bill, saying vaccines have saved lives. Hazing is a nationwide concern. Legislation to stop it here in Ohio is moving forward. Collins Law passed this week. It is named after Colin Wyant. He's from Dublin and died in 2018 from hazing at Ohio University. It's designate, excuse me, it's designed to increase penalties for people who are involved in hazing incidents to felony charges. The bill was introduced last year, but stalled in the legislature. The clock is ticking on figuring out a state budget, and things just got more complicated. Ohio's state budget director says new revenue forecasts predict an extra $3.3 billion. She told the Joint House-Senate Budget Committee that estimates call for an additional $1.7 billion next year and $1.6 billion in the year 2023. She attributed the boost to the impact of federal coronavirus aid packages. The deadline is the end of the month. A devastating moment at the Ohio State Fair. Now, almost four years later, rides are being made safer. It's Tyler's Law that honors the memory of an 18-year-old who was killed. We'll talk with his mother and see exactly how these changes will work. And next, Ohio's attorney general calls it a landmark settlement involving how much you pay for prescriptions. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and 
thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. The Ohio Attorney General announced a pharmacy benefit manager agreed to pay a record amount to settle a lawsuit. We're talking about Centene Corporation and its subsidiary called Buckeye Health Plan, and that settlement is $88 million. The Attorney General claimed the corporation overbilled the state for pharmacy services. Is there an admission on their part? There is no admission of wrongdoing on the part of Centene. Uh, That's kind of standard in uh, these sort of settlement agreements. so I will, uh, I will accept an apology note that has a, a dollar sign and many zeros after it. Centene is calling this a no-fault agreement. What are pharmacy benefit managers? They are sometimes called PBMs, and they are the middlemen in control of prescription drug costs. They decide which prescription drugs are covered by health insurance companies. As Ohioans head into fair and festival season, there is a focus on the safety of amusement rides. Tyler's Law took effect in November of last year, but because of COVID, it's now really being used for the first time. It increases safety measures for amusement rides and institutes changes in the ride inspection process. The law gets its name from a young man who was killed on a ride at the Ohio State Fair more than three years ago. 10TV's Brian Somerville explains exactly how the law works. Amber Duffield knew. She knew Ohioans would not sit back and tolerate the intolerable. The intolerable is losing anyone's life to something that could possibly be prevented. Her son died almost four years ago at the Ohio State Fair. He was riding the fireball when the ride broke apart. Seven others were injured. The accident was later blamed on excessive corrosion in a steel support beam. Obviously, um, there was a point of having to set the grief of the loss of no longer sharing a life with Tyler um, the same that had to be put on the shelf in order to bring about this change. Change now here. In 2019, Ohio passed Tyler's Law, stronger safety measures and standards for amusement rides. I just want to again say thank you to everyone that has worked so hard for this. Duffield joined members of the Ohio Department of Agriculture in Mount Sterling, showing how this new process works. So during this inspection process, we came along here. Ron Dean is a ride inspector with ODA. He says rides are classified in four categories, low intensity or kiddie rides, intermediate, towers and roller coasters, all of them now held to the same standard. None of these rides that operate in the state are exempt from this process. Tyler's law requires owners to complete a visual inspection, looking for fatigue and corrosion. Inspectors must also remove access panels to look at the interior, structure beams, and connections. If corrosion or cause for concern is found, the owner must contact the ride manufacturer to discuss and fix, and owners must meet a manufacturer's minimum requirements. If a manufacturer no longer exists, owners have to turn to a certified engineer to discuss and find solutions. When an ODA inspector is on scene, they are now required to see documentation that requirements are met. That documentation must be completed at least twice a year and stay with the ride its entire life, as well as be transferred to any future owner. But would it be easy for owners to cut corners and try to make repairs on their own? Dean says no. If we see that anything was done and we can't see a written document stating what that process or procedure was, 
it's still a no-go. As for Duffield. This is definitely a, um, a, a fulfillment of what Tyler really was. Her son, who had enlisted in the Marines, who wanted to help people, now is. This is definitely um, a culmination of that just without Tyler here in person to celebrate with us. I was always very proud of Tyler's choices uh, to serve, and this is no different. In Mount Sterling, Bryant Somerville, 10 TV News. Tyler's law also deals with rides that are used in Ohio, but are also used out of state or perhaps stored out of state for more than 30 days. Those rides also have to be inspected with all of the same kinds of paperwork. Now, on the federal level, Ohio Senator Rob Portman is in the spotlight for his work on infrastructure. The Republican helped lawmakers reach a bipartisan framework to modernize America's infrastructure. The 10 senator said in a statement this can lay the groundwork to garner broad support from both parties. Here's Senator Portman on Fox News. I think it makes so much sense, Charles, to do this in a bipartisan way without taxes, because his own proposal, as you know, is a huge new package, $2.65 trillion, with $2 trillion of new taxes, particularly taxes on American businesses and American workers, which makes no sense coming out of this pandemic. As you well know from your work on the economic side, you know, the 2014 or the 2017 tax bill actually worked well to bring jobs and investment back to America and increased wages. So my hope is that he will be willing to work with us on a different kind of package that doesn't have taxes, but does deal with these core infrastructure challenges we have as a country. Last week, Biden broke off talks with Republican Senator Shelley Capito on his own compromise bill. Ohio's capital city is paying people $100 to get vaccinated. Columbus City Council officially approved a proposal to pay people money to get the vaccine. Here's how what's called Vaccine Green works. Starting now, anyone who is not vaccinated and chooses to get vaccinated in Columbus will receive $50 per dose. If you get the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine, you get $50 for each dose. Now, if you get that Johnson & Johnson vaccine, you get $100 after your shot, because remember, Johnson & Johnson, one shot. The money comes from a $275,000 grant and will be paid out to 2,700 people. This cash is strictly for unvaccinated people, so, you know, if you've already received your vaccine prior, you are not eligible for this money. Council says the goal is to make sure everyone has an opportunity to get vaccinated. We continue to have conversations around equity in our community, and this is what it looks like uh, through legislation. Uh, this is really about providing opportunity uh, to individuals uh, that have been faced with uh, obstacles, barriers uh, to get the vaccine. And for more information, just head to cul.org slash vaccine green. President Biden signed legislation making Juneteenth a national holiday. Ohio's third district Congresswoman Joyce Beatty received the invitation to attend that signing ceremony at the White House. And she also stood next to Speaker Nancy Pelosi as she signed the legislation. Congresswoman Beatty says black history is American history. We cannot change the future if we can't acknowledge the past. Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated, commemorated ending of slavery in the United States. Emancipation did not free all slaves, only those in the Confederate States. Independence is freedom for all people. 
A little history lesson there. Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther announced that starting in June of 2022, Juneteenth will become an official paid holiday for all full-time city workers. We talked with a professor at The Ohio State University. He says across America, black emancipation has been celebrated differently. But regardless, there's always been a day the black community has celebrated the freedom of its own. And he says in recent years, we've seen more talk about Juneteenth. Last year's protests related to the death of George Floyd really put the day into the spotlight. Here's part of the reason for that. For truth telling. Also for a, a, rec uh, a reconciliation with the past, saying this is why folks are like, look, these statues to white supremacy got to come down uh, because these are lies and we want to know the truth. Uh, and, and, uh, and that's what Juneteenth is. Juneteenth is about marking the truth. Like, look, we got to deal with the past because we're still being informed and influenced by it. Ohio State head football coach Ryan Day made a statehouse visit and his words might have helped advanced legislation for some of his players. He pushed for a bill that would allow college athletes to make money from companies using their name and images. The day after he spoke, the bill made it out of the state Senate. Ryan Day says this is something students need. Allows them to um, feel like what they're doing and the work that they're putting in is, uh, is relevant and they're, they're being um, uh, afforded an opportunity to then, as they move away from the university, uh, have something as they walk away. Under the bill, student athletes won't be able to sign certain contracts. For example, companies associated with marijuana, alcohol, tobacco, or casinos. This now goes to the House. Being able to express yourself is obviously important to many Ohioans, even when they are playing sports. That's why a Northwest Ohio athlete took something she felt was unfair all the way to the state house. Here's Michael Tater from our sister station in Toledo. I've been wearing the hijab since 2015. So um, to me, like, I belong in sport. I'm an athlete. New Abu Karam is relieved after the Ohio Senate unanimously approved Senate Bill 181, which would bar schools from restricting the wearing of religious apparel during sporting events. It comes after she was once again confronted about her hijab by officials during this spring's cross-country season. I do think that there needs to be a closer look into um, like tr proper training and um, sensitivity training for the officials on how you deal with situations. Helping lead the bill was Bowling Green Senator Teresa Gavarone, who says she took this issue on personally as a mom of young athletes herself. She says no student should ever have to choose between their religion and playing the sport they love. This should never happen to another student athlete. And this piece of legislation brought together the Christian, the Muslim, and the Jewish communities all came out and supported this legislation. New graduated from the Bounty Collegium and is headed to the Ohio State University in the fall. But her initiative, Let Newer Run, born from this challenge, will only grow and continue fighting discrimination in sports. What we've really been focusing on is encouraging diversity in sports, especially in high school sports, and ensuring inclusivity. A mission, she says is worth running for. The House is expected to vote on this next. We thank you all for being here with us today. And remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state.
That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. How do you know if you or a loved one is at risk of problem gambling? By knowing the signs, such as borrowing money, hiding unpaid debts, bragging about wins, or just plain irritability. Sound familiar? Get Set Before You Bet is Ohio's initiative to help keep gambling safe and responsible for everyone. How does it work? Just visit before. ForYouBet.org to learn more and take the responsible gambling quiz. Together, we can keep gambling safe and responsible in Ohio. This message brought to you by Ohio for Responsible Gambling. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James. Joining me on the phone, we've talked to her many times in the past. It's Kimberly Schwinn, who is the Senior Manager of Public Affairs for the AAA Ohio Auto Club. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us, uh, I know everybody knows what AAA is, but tell us in a nutshell about your particular uh, bureau. Yeah, sure. So I work for AAA Ohio Auto Club, which serves 38 counties in Ohio. We have over 800,000 um, AAA members, and so we really work for our members. We work to provide safety, security, and peace of mind. Number one advocate for the motoring and traveling public, um, and so really all we do is focus on our members and keeping people safe while they're traveling, whether it's around town or, you know, far away. So 4th of July is around the corner, and uh, what a difference a year makes. Exactly. It's, it's exciting that we're talking about, you know, people traveling again. Last year, the story was nobody's traveling. People are staying home. People are advised to stay home. This year, man, we are going to expect a record number of people that are going to be driving this holiday. When you look at the overall travel volume nationally, we're expecting the second highest Independence Day travel volume on record, trailing only 2019. And then in Ohio, we're looking at the third highest Independence Day travel volume on record, trailing 2019 and 2018. But still, you know, back to those pre-pandemic levels and for all intents and purposes. Is it a higher shift toward the car rather than the plane? Yeah, that's right. When we look at, you know, where we're really seeing that travel growth, the focus is on the road trip this year. So in Ohio, we're looking at 95% of travelers that will be driving this year. Uh, And nationally, it's 91%. So huge focus on domestic travel and on the road trip as as travel really recovers across the country. Um, But with that being said, the airports are going to be busy. So if you are going to be flying, we expect nationally an increase of 164% compared to last year with air travel. And and we're up to 90% of pre-pandemic levels. Um, And the staffing really isn't there. So, you know, we've had some issues with flights being canceled and long lines at TSA. And so expect it to be busy in the airport, too, uh, and make sure that you're planning ahead, leaving plenty of time before your flight. American Airlines said that they would be canceling, even in July, like 50 to 80 flights nationwide a day for the first half of July, although that's a tiny percentage of their overall schedule. But any cancellation throws somebody's uh, plans out of whack. Yeah, it definitely does. And so that's, you know, one of the reasons we see people opting to drive is it's more, you know, convenient. You can leave when you want. You don't have to worry about flight cancellations. 
Um, but still, yeah, you definitely need, if you are going to be flying, to, to make sure that you're planning ahead and that you're continuing to check your flight schedule, make sure that it's on and on time. Talking with Kimberly Schwinn from AAA Ohio. So for folks who do travel, especially by car, is it going to look pretty normal when they go somewhere this year? So for the most part, um, however, there are still travel restrictions in some states and some locations and some, you know, theme parks or activities that you may do. Uh, so you do need to plan ahead. So we're not completely out of this yet. Um, so you really still want to make sure that you're doing your homework um, and understanding kind of do you need to make a reservation for things? You know, what do you need to do to make sure that you can get in any of those activities that you want to get in? Um, so AAA still has the COVID-19 travel restrictions map on our Triptych travel planner, so triptych.aaa.com. And that's going to help to show you those travel restrictions that are still in place. It's updated all the time, and it goes down to the state county even the local level um so that is plan ahead make sure that you really understand what it's going to look like um along your route and in your destination and as far as the roads themselves when are the busy times around the fourth Sure. So AAA partners with INRIX, which is a global analytics company. And INRIX, uh, you know, looks at the data and is predicting the worst travel times to be that Thursday and Friday before the holiday. Um, so, you know, Thursday, July 1st and Friday, July 2nd, uh, on Thursday between 3 and 5 p.m. and then Friday between 4 and 5 p.m. So as you have that afternoon commuter traffic mixing with the holiday travel, and then also expect it to be busy on Monday, July 5th, as people are returning home, so in the afternoon. Um, so if you want to invest times to travel, if you're thinking about leaving, you know, that Thursday or Friday before the holiday, you know, you can try leaving Thursday maybe after 7 p.m., so in the evening or early Friday morning before noon. Um, coming home, try to get home in the morning. Um, I know it's hard after staying up late for the fireworks, but if you leave earlier in the day, you're going to miss some of that traffic. What about the cost for hotels? Uh, I've been reading about a, a rental car shortage and higher prices on rental cars. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you're going to see higher prices pretty much across the board, except for we are noticing airfares are about 2% down from last year. But when it comes to hotels, you know, those mid-range hotels, what we look at as the AAA two-diamond and three-diamond hotels, the prices have increased between 32 and 35%. Wow. Um, so you're looking at average nightly rates, you know, about $156 for AAA two-diamond hotels and nearly $400 a night for AAA three-diamond hotels, just kind of your mid-range hotel. Um, daily car rental rates, through the roof, and we've been noticing this over the last few months. So they've increased 86% compared to last Independence Day. So you're looking to pay on average about $166 per day to rent a car. Of course, more expensive in popular vacation destinations, and you'll notice limited availability. So what happened is last year, the car rental companies sold off large portions of their fleet. And as travel demand has just Surged, uh, they aren't able to replenish their fleets quick enough to meet that demand. And that's because of, if you may have heard of that electronic chip shortage um, that's impacting auto manufacturers, so they can't make the cars quick enough. Um, and so you will notice some shortages. You know, maybe you can't get that minivan or that SUV that you want. 
um, in, especially in those popular vacation destinations. And that's the kind of information that, you know, before a family gets the kids all excited about going somewhere that they need to work out to make sure they can still swing it. Yep, that's exactly right. And so that's why, you know, it's, it's beneficial to work with a travel agent because um, they can offer you different options, look at, you know, maybe a different airport, maybe renting at an off-airport location. Um, we also recommend that people not wait to book their rental car. So book your rental car while you're booking, you know, your hotel and your flight. Book it all together just to make sure that you have that availability and that it fits in with that overall travel budget because it is going to cost you more money. I noticed there's a new low-cost airline that started up that'll be flying out of Columbus, and there are others there in, in, in Cleveland and Cincinnati as well. Are these uh, kind of second-tier airport locations uh, at popular destinations in the Carolinas and Florida? Do they offer cheaper alternatives with maybe uh, cheaper rental cars at those airports? You know, sometimes you can get, you know, so say you fly into... Um, you know, maybe Tampa or Sarasota instead of flying into um, Orlando. You know, maybe you'll have a better availability. So sometimes, yes. Um, but, of course, you know, it's, there's no straight answer across the board. Um, so that's why it's really beneficial to work with a travel agent who's well-versed in all of the, the nuances and, and can help guide you. Talking with Kimberly Schwinn from AAA Ohio, what about gas prices this year? Gas prices, we're seeing the highest gas prices in seven years. So highest since 2014. Um, so just like everything else, going to cost you a little bit more money. We're looking at gas prices above $3 a gallon on average nationally. At times here in Ohio over the last couple of weeks, we've seen them dip below that $3 a gallon mark. But we pretty much expect these gas prices to hover around $3 a gallon really throughout the summer at least. Um, so... They are going to be more expensive, but we don't expect the higher gas prices, the higher hotel prices, the higher rental car prices. We don't expect any of that to hold people back. Um, People really just have this pent-up demand. They want to get out and they want to travel. Is it expected that, say, you know, assuming that uh, we keep the pandemic down, uh, will vacations be cheaper next year than they are this year? So that kind of remains to be seen, Um, you know, when prices will level off. Um, But right now, certainly, it is going to cost you a premium to travel. Uh, And not all the options are back yet in many places. Um, You still have to make reservations. So, you know, again, I'm looking at a a Disney World trip, and so I'm hoping the prices go down here in the next year, but um, definitely still remains to be seen. Still some complicated times, unfortunately. Yes, and that's why, you know, we we encourage people to work with a travel agent because there's a lot to navigate. Uh, travel looks a little bit different than you remember before the pandemic. It's more expensive in many cases. And again, like I said, you know, there's still some restrictions out there. And so it's very, it, it's very helpful to talk with a travel agent. They can walk you through the different options, make sure that it, it fits your budget, fits your travel lifestyle plans. Um, also, they can explore options about uh travel insurance you know so what they can just walk you through all of those different options and it's really beneficial kimberly schwinn senior manager public affairs for triple a ohio auto club anything else you'd like to add 
Yeah, we just, you know, remember that the CDC advises fully vaccinated people can travel domestically at low risk to themselves. But if you're not vaccinated and you choose to travel, the CDC still recommends that social distancing and wearing a mask and washing your hands uh, and getting tested for COVID-19 before and after travel. So uh, we just, you know, we encourage people to, to get excited about travel, to get out there and travel, but to just continue to travel safely. All right. Kimberly, uh, thanks again, always as always, for the uh information. Thank you so much. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.